morning. Welcome to Comic Club, your friendly neighborhood comic book podcast. I am your host, Blaine McGaffigan, and I'm joined, as always, by Adam, the boy wonder cook. What's up, dude? I'm a man wonder now. Hey, Blaine, great to see you. He has grown up. He has thrown off the shackles of his red and green cape. How, how you doing, dude? What, what's going on in your world? Oh, same old, same old. Just another day in the bat cave, man. What's new with you? I hear that. All is good here. It's getting a little colder. The kids are back in school. You know, man, just digging it, digging bat month. You know, yeah. Adam's rocking his iconic bat symbol hat. That's like when you know he's he's really in the zone. I'm going to be buried in this hat. I love it. We are streaming today live from Crime Alley in Gotham. Quick warning, we will be spoiling this month's comics, so proceed with caution. Adam, take it away. What did we read this month? This month, we read Batman Hush by Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee, which finds the Dark Knight caught in a battle that pits him against one rogue after another as he unravels a mystery with deeply personal implications all while trying to balance a newfound relationship with his former foe, Catwoman, who is the man behind the bandages known only as Hush. Adam, what did you think of this book? I mean, we talked about it on our first impressions. Hush is a seminal comic created by the superstar team, Jeff Loeb, you know, He's written tons of stuff. And Jim Lee, just iconic artist. What was your take? Give me more than your first impressions. Give me your deep dives into Hush. I'll give you my second impressions. Second impressions. Um, I really liked it. I had a great time. It's just fun to read Batman. You get all these hallmarks of Batman stories, this crime side of him, his, um, you know, kind of constant dilemma between his personal life and his duty uh to the city and to you know this oath that he kind of swore to his parents i guess or whomever and um you just get a ton of villains so it's super fun i think in that regards because it it feels like it's constantly moving constantly developing there's all these twists and turns and kind of like any good detective story you just never know where this this mystery is going to take you And I think it's kind of, it's structured sort of in a very classic way in which you know that the climax, you know what it's going to be ultimately is it's, you're going to find out who this person is. And it's really, can the journey sustain that idea all the way through and keep it interesting? um, And, you know, like I said, moving forward. And I think this does a really good job of that. And part of that is because it has so many freaking villains that we'll get into, I'm sure. But yeah, I thought it was a good, um, a really fun kind of revisit. I didn't totally remember how things played out, and I, I kind of had an idea once I got into it who the who the final hush was. Right. Um, but there's a lot of false false hushes. There are. And um, yeah, what did you think about this? I think this comic is one is just emblematic of early 2000s, you know, coming out of the 90s comic books. And the way I think about comics is very much in this sort of generational aspect where it's like the 80s is like the dark night, Watchmen, things got really dark. Gritty. Um, Yeah, gritty. We're taking ourselves really seriously. 90s was just like 
you know, X-Men, colorful, a lot of pouches, cable coming in, huge guns, bombastic. Yeah, accessories. And then we start, accessories. And then we start, the pendulum starts to swing back, right? And I think this is that perfect marriage where the pendulum kind of meets in the middle before it goes back to the, where I think kind of we are right now are these long sort of creator stories. Tom King, we we read the vision on this podcast and he did a, like 75 issue run of Batman. It's really serious, really thematic. It's really um, heady philosophical stuff. Uh, Grant Morrison followed up this run with a really long, really epic um, run as well. And and this is just, it's Jim Lee who comes from the school of the nineties, right? Just crushes art. You know, there are so many pinups in this book, so many like you turn the page and there's a character standing there just looking so cool, cooler than you've seen them or you remember them even like looking right. And he just destroys that. And then Jeff Loeb just takes us, like you said, all over the place. We're in Metropolis. There's somebody from Bruce's past. He's a kid. We're, we're learning about, you know, his his childhood all of a sudden. They they go to Ra's al Ghul, like in the Middle East. They're they're in like the, you know, the the opera. You, you just get this full spectrum of Batman's life pulling in all of these characters that I think is so effective as a reader because it. It, to me, it's kind of like Batman the Animated Series, where it, it, it's like my memory of Batman the Animated Series, where I remember all the characters and all the villains and stuff like that. This is like that condensed in 12 issues, right? It, it just kind of like hits, 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 hits. And then having said all that, it doesn't carry the same almost like weight. Like like it's it's fun as hell, and it's a Batman story, and I love it. But it's like, um, you know, it's it, it's a Batman story. It, it, it's kind of just doing the same. It, it To me, it's just like Batman the Animated Series in a way where it's just like it's doing the Batman thing and I love it. it it's hitting all of the, the peaks that I love. I think the one thematic theme in this that was explored that I quite liked is the relationship with Batman and Catwoman. Is can Batman, can Bruce have a relationship and that was the sort of big theme of this comic. And um but but I mean I, I love it. Like, dude, I, I, I love this comic and I don't want to hold that against it. Well, I think that's a big theme of Batman in general, you know, yeah. is just not it, it really can he trust anyone? Because for so much of the series, it's him just wrestling with who he really can and can't trust. And I mean series as a whole, the entire Batman series. Yes. From the beginning of bringing in Robin, should he do this? He's always has these conflicts of who do I let in? Who do I let yes. into the Batcave? And who do I, you know, take off the cow for? Yes. And um, that's just constantly underlying in this book the entire times his feelings of doubt and, you know, his feelings of like, has he made mistakes in the past and all these regrets he has. I love that they use the canon of Batman to kind of create this story because I'm sure some of you out there don't know, but there's a few Robins that have been throughout um, the course of Batman and one of them famously died and, you know, wasn't brought back. And this was kind of a big event 
in the 80s, right? And um, they voted on it really to see what should happen. And the fans voted for him to die, which is crazy. But it was Jason Todd. And um, he's the second second Robin. And he died. The Joker killed him. And uh, it was huge. And it, you know, was always this thing that haunted Batman because he brought Jason Todd in off the streets. He was kind of this like petty thief, this punk rocker kid, had a lot of attitude. Um, I think his dad was a criminal, or maybe I'm getting him and Tim Drake confused now. But anyways, he uh, that was always just a spot that's been in Batman's past ever since it happened. And, you know, canon's a weird thing, because some writers just kind of dance around it and ignore it completely to serve their own story. But I think the really good ones will take what has happened before them and use it to create something new. People maybe in screenwriting or in some other circles will talk about shining a lantern on it, right? You highlight the things that might be a mistake or an error and say, okay, well, what would this lead to? All right. So Batman has this, you know, haunted past of having, you know, somewhat being somewhat responsible for the death of he, he's his failed. former yeah he's yeah, failed yeah, with, with with Dick Grayson he was always like you said questioning should i do this should i bring in a boy like a kid to be my sidekick and luckily Dick Grayson worked out but then the second go around he failed he got a he got a minor killed basically by a psycho clown yep and so bringing that haunted past back to torment him again, I think is just a great use of, of his history really. And, um, one of the things, you know, that would haunt him the most. And yeah, I've always loved also the idea of the, the Riddler as this great villain. Cause he's supposed to be this criminal genius, this mastermind. And, um, we'll get into this a little bit later in adaptation alley, but I just think that he's kind of an underutilized villain and, it's a great payoff in a story like this. Dude, I love what you said about the Riddler because he's always one of my favorite villains, but never portrayed as my favorite villain. The way I imagine him is so much cooler because he's always pretty schlocky, even still. He, he's always a goofball who people don't take seriously and, you know, it's kind of joking around. He gets, like, tattoos of question marks. Like, he, he, like they just can't seem to use him right. And being this master tactician who can outwit Batman in terms of, um, you know, mental planning ahead. We talked about in First Impressions. That's one of Batman's main strengths is that he outweighs all of the the planning and the machinations. And having somebody who might be a step ahead of him is kind of a fascinating thing to explore um real fast I, I i just love what you said about the continuity piece the the screenwriting technique of shining a light i always think about that in breaking bad because i think that creator talked about that a lot where they don't want to always reintroduce new stuff but keep mining the depths and yes. there that can be good and bad where Sometimes just like, great, we're treading over the same old ground again, okay? We're just doing it again. But the best writers, and I think this is a great example, is whenever they use the emotion and pathos of the characters and whether it's a failure or whether it's a, a an, an empty place to bring it in and make something that, you know, mattered long ago 
have a new impact. Like you said, shine a light on it in a different, a different angle and, and cast it in a different light. And, and I thought that was incredibly effective. And just this continuity in general of, you know, Batman, what, what detective comics was published in like 42, you know, correct me if I'm wrong fans out there on the internet, but, um, we're over like 75 years of, of Batman continuity right now. You know, and even Alan Moore, the killing joke, he, uh, Barbara Gordon got crippled in it and she's in a wheelchair. She's still in a wheelchair or she always has back issues. And they wrote that into the continuity. And the fact that Batman kind of keeps going is really interesting. I have something for you, Adam. This is actually a question. Um, okay. Because I want to talk about the end. I want to talk about the end of the book. And right. the end of the book, it all kind of ramps up. Um, maybe we'll get into the details of the story a little bit later. But the part that I want to talk about is Batman's confrontation with Catwoman. And I, I'm two ways about it because there, there are two elements of Batman. There's one element of Batman that I actually don't like. And, and, and it's part of his core personality, but it's also something that frustrates me a lot. And and you kind of mention it where he is broken. He is a, he is a, you know, he has been, he has been broken and now he's trying to build around him and he's trying to build a family in some way. But here he's trying to figure out, should I trust Catwoman? Do I want to do I want to bring her in? Are we going to be in a relationship? And she says, hush. And then he thinks, and you hear like his voiceovers, I can't trust her. And he breaks up with her at the end. And I just, I, I just don't know how I feel about that. And I hate that he keeps pushing away relationships in this way. And it's explored a lot in other comic books because I feel like there is something in comics where they have to keep it serialized. But in a way, a character can almost never change. And and I just wanted to know, I, I don't have a specific question, but if I could just throw, kind of throw that out there. And can Batman ever change? Can Is his mission to combat, you know, the crime in Gotham, is that just his whole life until he's an old man? Or can he ever settle down? I, I don't know. I mean, that's the eternal question of Batman and many superheroes. You know, it's almost like, do we even really want to know the answer? Do we just want to see the story keep going? And I personally just want to see the story keep going because really, you know, it's just not as interesting if Batman's not fighting crime. You know, what what's he doing? He's sipping lattes out in the English grottos with Anne Hathaway, you know? <laughs> Well, and that's exactly what I wanted to bring up because, listen, Dark Knight Rises, maybe not the best Batman movie, but that end, to me, I was like, okay, he's changed. He's passing on the mantle. I'm ready. In Grant Morrison, Batman, Batman, you know, dies, quotation marks. They always bring these heroes back, but... Uh, Dick Grayson takes over the mantle of Batman, and I love that. And I'm, and of course, Bruce Wayne comes back eventually. But I, I think that Dark Knight Rises, where he retires, and even like you think about Batman Beyond, right, where he's an old man in a cave and he's helping out the the new blood. I'm not saying it's time to move on from Bruce Wayne as Batman because. You know, he's the OG. He always will be. You got to have him. They'll tell Batman stories um, for the next hundred years. But we, I think as serialized story stories go, 
it is good for these characters to change. It is good for them to evolve. I do like to think about them sometimes getting older. I know Superman in comics right now is married and has a son, and now they're exploring issues of fatherhood and stuff like that. It changes the game in a lot of ways, but... um you know, you can't do it with everything. You can, it, it, it's hard to say, but I, I do love that Dark Knight Rises ending. You know, sipping lattes with Anne Hathaway. Well, I mean, who wouldn't love to do that? That sounds great. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I think that's one of the things that's that's a great storyteller does is kind of keep that, that ball just rolling down the hill. But I, I like what you said too, because I think that it's important to kind of take these side paths and go down the rabbit hole to just explore what a character could do because it gives you a little break from the normal continuity and then when you come back to kind of the traditional world you can come back at it refreshed with you know new perspective on it people have new stories on it it's kind of like james bond and i think we're getting to the point where we'd like to see some of the offshoot of james bond we'd like to explore what it would be like you know when he's not just on one of these missions from, you know, let's see what, what Q branch is doing in the off season. Dude, that is a great call. And I love what you're saying about kind of breaking away, trying something new and then almost resetting. And that's the story of comic books, right? That's what they constantly do with all these events. They're constantly resetting back to kind of the norm. And then, you know, they reestablish it. And, um, you know, that's comics. Okay. I have a, a question for you. I wanted to ask you, you are a big Batman the Animated Series fan. What are your thoughts on Harley Quinn? This is the first time I ever saw her in sort of a DC comic book and Batman. What do you think of her being in comics? Like, like is it is it kind of weird as an animated series fan or, or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I love the fact that her origin is with the animated series because that gives a lot of... Um, just sort of weight to the animated series as a pillar of the Batman, uh, you know, lore and history. And I think she can be tough because she's so silly, um, especially with her accent and just her jokey nature, that it can be tough to pepper her in and not just have it take you out of the story. I think it does a good job here. And, you know, similar to, I I love the Margot Robbie, Robie, um, take on i mean i love Margot in any any of her takes really but i i really like her harley quinn and i think when you can kind of get her sort of like unending and like psychotic love and devotion to the joker when you can get that in there it kind of makes her craziness seem a little bit more i guess grounded and um but it's almost like why can't you have Harley Quinn? We got the Joker. He's no more ridiculous than Harley Quinn ever is, really. And so I feel like if you're going to have the Joker, if you're going to have Killer Croc, let's bring in Harley Quinn. Let's have a little fun with it. Well, you know, it, it really does sort of depend on, you know, we talked about last time, the realism versus fantastical scale of Batman. Yeah. Right? Because this Joker in this book has like this long, crazy, elongated face, exaggerated features. Yeah. Crooked, long, crazy nose. And he, and his mouth is just like, you know, eight inches wide, you know, it's, it's inhuman. And you imagine the voice of Mark Hamill coming out of him whenever you read it. You know what I mean? Like it is that cartoonish version, uh, version, but then you do have 
also the Heath Ledger Joker depicted in comics. You do have these psychotic people who have or just have face pain or just effed up. And I think Harley Quinn can run the spectrum of both. You know, it's really interesting because Harley Quinn right now in comics is kind of that reformed Catwoman type figure where she is, you know, reformed. She's broken up with the Joker. She is um, trying to do good, but always constantly doing bad. It, it's it, it, And I do like her character a lot, but seeing this is just so interesting because she's wearing the exact same costume as the animated series. And it's just like, you know, all of her lines, you hear that, like you said, that, that accent, her voice, that, that pudding, that, that same thing. And I, I mean, I think it works. And like you said, I love seeing her and it really adds weight to the animated series, but I love the spectrum of Batman. I love that it can be ultra grounded and realistic. And I love that it can be cartoony. And I love that it can be, you know, Batman 66, super cheesy, you know, with the, you know, the painted over mustache like um, the Joker had then. So it's so all over the place and it's so adaptable. And that's what makes Batman so great. Hey, Adam, can I pitch you a Batman idea? All right, give me your best Batman idea. What do you got okay. for me? Okay. Now, I don't have the story fleshed out. This is more of a premise, okay? All the time in Batman comics, Batman is down on his luck. He has had his back broken. He has, in this, fallen, you know, 60 stories. He is patched up by Alfred. He has had surgery by Thomas Elliot. He is on, you know... He hasn't slept in four days. He is constantly fighting new people, taking on new bruises while he's healing. Here's my concept. What if Batman did self-care? Okay. So I'm talking a Batman who sleeps eight hours a night. Okay. He's eating well-balanced meals. He is just you know, meditating every morning using the Calm app, okay? He is just, he's, you know, going in to get, you know, his mani-pedis, making sure he's really, you know, he's he's hitting the gym, but not like we see it in Batman comics where he's like pumping and pumping and yes, Alfred, yes, I'll go ahead and get that after I finish this rep. Like he's, you know, he's taking care of his body, but, you know, it's self-care. How powerful would he be mentally? as a detective, as a fighter, if he actually took care of himself. Adam, what are your thoughts? Gosh, I, I mean, I love it. I'd love to see just kind of the spa day version of Batman. Like, what Batman needs to do to unwind, you know, he goes to get a schvitz, he does the whole thing. You know, maybe he just goes shopping, because he's like, whatever, I've got the <laughs> afternoon free, I can just, maybe I'll see a movie, I don't even know. I got a do. bonus at work. I got you a know, bonus I, at the work. Shareholders oh, meeting went over really well. Shop? Yeah, I'll get some ice cream. Yeah, but, but but here's the thing, though, that, that I'm saying. It's not just cheesy in that he's taking self-care. He's actually 10 times a better Batman because of it. And he's, and when he's doing these things, he's like, oh my God, wait a second. I forgot. I forgot to go get milk. <laughs> things like that. Little yes. things, too. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but, but the point is that, like, uh, okay, if Batman's on, if he hasn't slept in four days, how sharp is he up there? How, no, how is that, you know, that's a great point because really the mind can only function so well on minimal sleep. And after a while, they say it's like you're drunk when you're super sleep deprived. So basically Batman's just drunk in the streets trying to solve crimes. Injured. 
Uh, his, injured, his shoulder's his broken. Brain, his brain gets serious. He fractures his skull yeah. and has chips of his skull removed and, and, and stuff. And, and he's and he's great. He's still the best there is. But imagine if he had self-care. That's all I'm trying mm. to say. 10x, you know, 2x. Who, who knows? Who knows? Well, calm app, you know, get at us if you want to do a little partnership. We're here. <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. All right, and enough of Batman, uh, uh, you know, self-care. Let's move it on over to our best lines. This is the section of the show where we showcase the written word and highlight our favorite moments of dialogue, exposition, and more. It's obvious that Adam and I could talk about Batman forever, and we will because every year we're going to have Bat Month, okay? Every year. I'm stoked. Um, Adam, hit us with your first best line. First best line, I love it when they just kind of lean into the sort of uh, detective side of Batman. And I also love that Batman, is he's kind of a dork, you know, maybe not the funniest person in the world. Um, this this line comes, it's a little bit of uh, thought bubbles as he is about to interrogate Talia al Ghul. And he says, not surprisingly, LexCorp remains one of the nation's largest weapon suppliers. Talia, Roz, Luther, calling them a nest of vipers is an insult to vipers. <laughs> I was like, good try, Bat. So I was like, you know, you're trying to make fun of him, but like, you're doing the best you can. And that's why I love him. Yeah, not known for his, you know, puns, not known for his humor, not known for his, you know. He's not Spider-Man, okay? No, he's not. All right, my... Mine is, I mean, this is the whole premise for the book, which is kind of interesting, is that he gets his bat rope cut and he's falling, okay? The dude's falling. And, and again, we get a lot of, you know, expository, is it expository? Whatever is yeah. his brain, thought bubbles, okay, expository dialogue. And he says, one chance as he falls and tries to reach for a gargoyle, my shoulder breaks. The gargoyle then breaks and he keeps falling. First, my body betrays me. Then my city follows suit. So I wanted to ask you, Adam, real fast. This whole story is because somebody cut his bat rope. The dude who plans everything doesn't have a backup plan for if his bat rope breaks. What's up with that? Man, that's called confidence in your plan A. I think that's what you call that. He's just, he knew it was going to work. No doubt in his mind. Plan, B, great... was, plan B was the gargoyle. Plan and, B was the and gargoyle. the city failed him. Yep. As Gotham always fails him. He should have known. He should have had the plan C. Yeah. I mean, I think now Batman's learned a valuable lesson. He'll probably just plan out through the alphabet. He's like, should I go into double letters now? Plan yeah. A, A. Yep, that's right. How He's many plans his... how many plans does Batman need to have for any given, I don't know, evening? Yeah. <laughs> Just you know, if when he's going to you know, the Schwitz, you know, just getting there. When he's going to the grocery store, how many plans? Oh my gosh. I... What do you we'll got have next? to we'll have to dedicate a new pod to that one. We can't get into that right now. Okay. Next one. You're going to like this one. This comes when old Bats is having a little meeting with Catwoman. They're coming up with a plan. They got to go fight Superman, as Batman often does. And he's got to come up with a crazy plan. 
God, woman's a little hesitant. She doesn't know what what's going to happen. And uh, Bruce says, he's the best at what he does. And then he pulls out a kryptonite ring. Of course, he's got one of those just lying around. He says, he he's the best at what he does, not at what I do. Ooh, I love that line, Blaine. So good. So good. And I remember that so distinctly because, well, one, we have a segment called The Best of What They Do. But two, Jim Lee draws the bat belt probably better than anybody I've ever seen it. And, and that panel you're mentioning, it there is like he opens up one of the pouches in the bat belt and there is a perfect like ring indentation where the ring would fit. And, and he's constantly doing that where they don't always show it right? Because Batman's always shooting grappling guns and he's always throwing off smoke bombs and throwing off batarangs. And Jim Lee constantly shows Batman pulling those items out of his pouches and those up close shots. And I love that. That was just a really great kind of like little little close up on bat tech that I love in this book. Yeah, I love that. Jim Lee has a lot of fun with his, you know, his, his uniform, his costume or whatever, and all of his gears and gadgets and everything. Yeah, he it really expands it in great ways. All right, my second best line. Here we go. Oh, this is the end of like, you know, one of the first couple issues. And it, he's commenting on that fall that I just mentioned. Here we go. I barely survived the fall had it not been for Tommy, had it not been for Alfred, had it not been for Huntress, had it not been for Oracle, had it not been that someone cut the bat rope. So that, that's a that's a follow-up exactly to my previous best line, but it's just, I love, and I do it a lot, like whenever I'm writing, I love repeated dialogue. I love whenever lines are, you could have said, had it not been for Tommy, Alfred, Huntress, and Oracle, but whenever you get that repetition, it makes it sing-songy and it makes it poetic in a way that I love. And it really drives that point home. You know, there's so many, so many factors at play. Yeah, and so many back, like uh, so, so much help. Like, like he's yeah. got help from all those people, and and that's the only reason that he was able to make it out is because of his support system. Bats is about to learn that throughout the whole the whole story. That's right. His what do you got, in- team? Okay, so this one um, comes when. Batman is kind of given a rundown. This is pretty far into it, as you'll hear. But he's given a rundown to Dick Grayson, who's Nightwing at this point, of everything that's happened so far. And it's pretty ridiculous. He says, it involves the manipulation of Killer Croc, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn. It reaches as high as Superman and as low as the Joker. It's someone new or... Someone old trying something new. <laughs> it's like, okay, so basically anything's on the table now, Batman. Okay, great. Got it. Yep, I'm up to speed. I gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And that's, you know, super emblematic of these monthly comics of whenever they're having to re-explain everything every time. You know what I mean? And that was something you don't always, whenever you're reading a graphic novel, you don't always get that. But the first couple pages of every one of these issues, they kind of give you a recap where we were last, what happened, what's kind of going on, what's at stake. Um, All right, my last best line. 
It is, okay, it's in the opera, and this is the Harley Quinn scene whenever, you know, I I just think of like Batman 66, the the TV show, just because of, you know, Batman can just be cheesy. So here we go, here we go. Catwoman comes and just, you know, full-on flying kick, knocks out Harley Quinn, who's flying backwards, and Catwoman says... Badly conceived, badly acted, badly staged. The audience actually wants their money's money back. And Harley Quinn goes, Gah! Everybody's a critic! And it's just like, no matter, we, we get these ultra serious bat lines, right? These gruff, you know, uh, I'm, everything's on the table to just ultra cheesy opera puns. I love this banter between the two ladies because they have a flair for the dramatic, all right? Catwoman, you see that outfit, you know, her her acrobatics, she loves to be the star. And so she's kind of saying, all right, you've had your chance in the spotlight, Harley Quinn. Now I'm going to step up. Can't you kind of just picture like Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman saying that, you know, poorly acted, poorly blah, blah, blah. The, mm-hmm. uh, the audience actually wants their money back. And you're yes. like, oh, that'd be good. Just kind of like meow, a little ferocious. Yes. And, and it's those, you know, those one-liners that we love in superheroes. Um, All right. Let's move it on over. Let's move it on over to the best at what they do. This is where we talk about the creators themselves covering how they got started in comics and highlighting their other Notable work. First up, writer Jeff Loeb. He started as a screenwriter. He wrote such films as Teen Wolf, Commando, and then later on television, working on Heroes. If anybody's seen Heroes, superhero television show, Lost. He was a writer and producer. And he was the executive producer of Marvel Television Studios. So that's all those Netflix shows. Um, He was kind of the producer of that Comics. He is a long-running collaboration with artist Tim Sale. I wanted to ask you, Adam, Batman The Long Halloween and Batman Dark Victory. Have you read those? And what's your kind of, you know, quick, quick takes on those? Love them. Another great pairing of artist and writer. Very different style than um than the Jim Lee versions uh, darker grittier a lot of gray tones i remember and kind mm-hmm. of just a lot more I, I remember it was maybe more flat kind of the the drawing style yes and it's been a long time since i've read either of those but <clears throat> i really remember loving long halloween when i read it the first time that one is definitely one of the i think seminal batman uh graphic novels that everyone kind of always talks about when people are saying what batman should i read Yes, and we will revisit those because those follow year one continuity. Long Halloween and Dark Victory are kind of after Batman deals with the mafia side of Gotham, and then the crazies start coming into town. And so that's whenever you get Harvey Dent transitioning to Two-Face and all of the Joker coming in and, and all of it getting pretty wild. So, But 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 I, I thought why I wanted to especially mention and ask you about it is it features – Tons of villains. And I think Jeff Loeb does that really well where he brings in – it's not just like 
I'm going to do six issues or 12 issues on just Joker and tell a long story. He's bringing in just the whole rogues gallery. And I love that. He has a couple, again, still with Tim Sale. He did Superman for all seasons, Catwoman, Win in Rome. He does these kind of character stories. And then over at Marvel, he does Daredevil Yellow, Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray. A lot of these are kind of origin. They're kind of year one stories for the Mar- those Marvel heroes that I mentioned. And and people love those. And I I love that he's doing kind of like these little graphic novel, um, one-off side story things. I think those are really cool and worth exploring if you like Jeff Loeb. He has four Eisner Awards under his belt. Next, I'm going to hit Jim Lee. Adam, what do you think about, you know, we kind of mentioned that 90s art style, the pouches, cable, X-Men, all of that stuff. What what do you think of that? Whenever you think of like 90s comic art in your head, what what's going around in there? Just seems like it was so much fun to draw. I just imagine these guys with huge drafting boards just seeing, how big can I draw this cape? How many pouches can I put on Cable's belt? You know, how many different appendages can you fit on a gun? I I really felt like they were having fun with, like, kind of their art in that way. And there was a lot of kind of, to me, the 90s were pretty glossy. Like, there's a lot of shine to, you know, I guess the coloring. And um, in just this fun way that just seems so different than it is now. But uh, I like it when there's kind of a, you know... when it feels like there's a time capsule for the style of art. Yeah. And I, I think you, I, I think your description of saying fun is perfect. Okay. Nineties is not known for its storytelling. It's known for its really bombastic characters and just, it looks cool and it's fun, man. Like it's so cool. And that's Jim. I, I think of Jim Lee. So hardcore here. He started out, at Marvel doing Uncanny X-Men with Chris Claremont, you know, famed writer of X-Men comics, X-Men number one, which was an offshoot. Uncanny was always like the OG X-Men comic, and then they launched X-Men number one. It is still the best-selling comic book of all time. If you look at the cover, it's that it's that spread. You'll recognize it. It's the X-Men in their animated series costumes, basically. And, um, you know... 8.1 million copies and nearly 7 million sold. We don't hit anything close to that in comics anymore. This was a boom time in comics. And that boom was led by artists like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Eric Larson, Todd McFarlane, who did who did Venom, right? We talked about that in a previous episode. And they said, guys, everybody's reading Marvel comics, not for the characters, not for them they're reading for the art for us so we're going to go off and start our own thing and they started image comics they each had their own studios there jim lee had wildstorm studios where he wrote and drew mostly drew but he wrote some stuff during that time wildcats if you've if you've heard of wildcats stormwatch death blow some things like this eventually he sold wildcats back to dc because he wanted to focus on art again. And that's where things like Batman Hush come into play. Later, he teams up with Frank Miller for All-Star Batman and Robin. Adam, have you read All-Star Batman and Robin? I have read parts of it, yeah. It was never finished. 
They, uh, I think there's 10 issues that they did and, uh, Frank Miller has more scripts and they, they've literally never finished it. It sold a ton of comics because Frank Miller and Jim Lee were kind of the two biggest people in comics ever. And, um, but it wasn't super well received. Um, anyway, Jim Lee legend. He is now publisher at DC. He's just an all around good guy. I wanted to call this out during COVID-19. He began a 60 day series of sketches because comic book stores had to close down. So he auctioned off the proceeds of all these sketches he was doing to different random brick and mortar comic book stores that had closed. And he raised over $800,000 donating the money from his artwork to comic book stores. And it just shows that the dude loves comics. He really is genuine. You see him in interviews. And I, I love Jim Lee. I love that he's kind of publisher and chief creative officer at DC Comics. And I just always feel like that's a good sort of North Star. He believes in this medium. And although he's not doing as much art now, he's a great person to have, you know, in, you know, one of the big two. So that's Jim Lee. The inker, Scott Williams, the dude is same thing collaborated with all those image guys he pretty much inks all of jim lee's stuff so you see jim lee you're gonna see scott williams who has won eisner awards and then next you're gonna see alex sinclair alex sinclair always does jim lee's colors so these three guys just always work together adam i wanted to ask you a quick question what do you think color wise of the red sky in comics. Did you notice in Hush that the sky was red and in Batman anime series the sky is always red too? Man, I didn't I didn't notice that. No, that's an interesting interesting tidbit. Why why do you think that is? People out there in comic book land, I mean in uh comic club land, just keep that in mind. I I, I don't know why. I think it just looks cool and I think a lot of times in Gotham it's at night. Yeah. Right. And night is hard to color. And so they, I don't know who came up with this stylistically, but they created red skies. And again, watch the intro, watch the intro to Batman the Animated Series. You know, the classic thing where the two, you know, the three crooks are on the rooftops and Batman comes. It's all red skies and then the blue lightning strikes. And it's, it, it's just how it is. And in this, the whole time it's red skies. And, um, I don't know. No, pay attention to that, and I, I don't know if it was who came up with it, but something to call out. All right, let's move it along. That's the best of what they do. This is our favorite segment, the Art Awards. This is where we hand out award-specific visual moments. It can be a single panel. It can be the coloring or lettering. Sometimes it can be a whole scene. Adam, take it away. What is your first Art Award? You know, I think I'm going to kind of skip around just because I want to build up to my favorite one, which actually took place chronologically earlier in the story, but I'm going to save that one for later. So I'm just going to start with one. I don't even remember exactly where this is in the story, but Batman and uh, Catwoman are having to evade some people and they're being shot at. So Batman kind of does a, one of his classic tackle uh, jump dive moves to get Catwoman out of the way. And they, go into the water, right? They're diving through the water. This is a nice, big, full-page panel. And um, you can see Batman as he's holding on to Catwoman, his silhouette. But with one of his hands, he's got it 
reaching out like he's diving with just one handed dive and i love that batman always does these cool kind of weird hand pokes like kung fu hand poke thing Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to really show his martial art trading and as he's doing this there's a huge onomatopoeia that's coming in right with him and it says sploosh and i'm going to give that the sploosh award that's great um, my first art award is a Batman and Catwoman. I kind of referenced this in the first impressions, and this is best rooftop makeout. And good lord, this art is awesome. You see this moon in the background that is just way too big. <laughs> no moon <laughs> could ever be that big. And it's I a love moon. it's a super moon. Uh, I love that exaggeration of moons. In film too, I love it when they do like those matte paintings or or I don't know how they do it. They make these huge moons and I love it. And um Gotham's in the background with the smoke and Catwoman and Batman are just embracing this kiss and his cape is just kind of enveloping her feet and they fade into blackness in the night. And something about Batman and Catwoman kissing on the rooftops, you know, it happened in Batman Returns, the um, classic film. Can't wait to watch it this Christmas. You know, some consider it a Christmas movie and I am of that camp. And I just didn't know that that was a thing in comics. Like I said, this was kind of my first continuity. And I love this romance of Batman and Catwoman. I love thinking about them on rooftops, chasing each other, kissing, getting even more intimate, you know, depending on who's writing it. And um, they, they explored this a lot. Tom King did uh, in the recent Batman run. And they, they he had this really interesting thing where he was always, they called each other cat and bat. So they're just like, sure thing, cat. All right, bat. And like, it was just this, like, it's like their nickname for each other. And it added a really cute element. And I, I just love Batman and Catwoman. I, I love all of his flings, actually. You know, we, we talked about Talia al Ghul a little bit. I love that she is kind of in love with Batman as like her destiny. And Batman kind of like rejects her because she's straight up a villain. Um, <laughs> But this flirtatiousness that Batman and Catwoman have just is unmatched. I mean, they got chemistry. There's heat between them. Palpable. It um, really is. It they really got a, is. They got a real rooftop romance going on, you know? They do. What do you got and next, bro? Next up, I got Batman. This is towards the end. You know, he's fighting, of course. Classic Bat. He's fighting. And this one's a nice close-up. Um, of his face and he's just dripping with rain batman is always fighting in the rain i love that i guess you know that just speaks to the the weather patterns of the greater gotham area and um this is kind of like i like that we got the squatty eared batman in this one and he's kind of like like a beefy necked batman too so you get him he's kind of hunched over and he's saying no and the lightning is flashing behind him, and it's also kind of lighting up his eyes. They're just pure white. It looks incredible, but like I said, he's just dripping with rain. I'm going to give this the Bat Drip Award. <laughs> um, that panel is so awesome, and I just love when Batman's face is so obscured. Like in that panel, it's just black, like 
black and I, oh man, I, I, I love that. Whenever you get light behind a character in the silhouettes, it's just perfect. Um, all right, my next award is the Through the Looking Glass Award. And there's not a ton of stylistic um, art storytelling going on, but this is this one moment. It's a six-panel uh, page. And on the left, there are three panels, and it is Hush unmasking in front of the Joker. So you see the back of Hush's head pulling off the bandages, and and Joker is the wide-eyed, oh my gosh, and then the last panel is him realizing who it is, and in this case, it is a feint, it's Harvey Dent. And then the right three panels are more colored in blue, and it's whenever Batman actually takes off his cow for Catwoman. It's the same thing. She has the, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's you, Bruce. And Selina was on a date with Bruce earlier, you know, in the comic. So she has a relationship with Bruce. She knows who he is. And it's kind of this really cool kind of, there's the story side over here where there's hush and and us as an audience is really wanting to know what's going to happen over there. And then over here we have a huge, huge pivotal moment. Anytime Batman is showing his face in comics, I mean, it's a huge deal. You know, anytime somebody knows his identity, and and I really like the way that was like doubly portrayed there. And and the reveal was kind of interesting, but also confusing in the, in the two face point. I was, I was like two, I was like, what? I was like, I was like, Harvey didn't, what's going on? He's bald. It looks like Lex Luthor. A lot of twists and turns, a lot of, uh, wait a second, who's in this now? Yeah, that's right, that's right. But it was uh, fun. I mean, I, I love that, of course. That's a great one, the the duality of those, you know, kind of, you could see those as like a side-by-side scene, cutting back and forth, mimicking each other. It's real, real fun storytelling. Yeah, and, and, and real fast, this kind of ends with Two-Face, or sorry, with Harvey Dent reformed. Right where yeah. he's he has done plastic surgery to be the Harvey Dent you know side the good side of Two Face, and I always kind of wanted to explore comics after this and see like what wh- how did they flesh that out? Did he become a district attorney again? H- how was this told? Because ever since then he's Two Face again in comics, and I have I never really followed this along. But I thought that was kind of a really interesting storytelling thing where. He's rejected the dark side of his duality, and he's becoming the Harvey Dent side again. I think that's a cool kind of concept. There's tons of room for story with the Harvey Dent character. His, you know, his split personality is is something that I think could and probably should be explored more, especially in the films, because it's it's just a natural storytelling device. It's so great, and especially kind of because of the the sort of the mental health aspect of it. I think. Yeah. Kind of, grounded in reality in a really nice way that that's a really good point i like that a lot my last art award i said i was saving a special one for the last one is it even a batman story if you don't have an awesome cape shot okay this one's batman riding on a train and it's a full page shot of him just standing there right in front of you atop the train massive massive cape behind him and maybe the pointiest of all his capes there are so many angles and you know just 
points that it's coming to. She's kind of wrapping around him. It almost looks like a a cape that Spawn would wear, honestly. Yep. It looks yep. incredible. And he's holding onto it with both hands because he, he can't just have it flying all over the place. He'd get blown away. And that was something that I don't think Batman does enough, just kind of practically holding onto his cape because it's gigantic. Yep. So I'm going to call this the Hold My Cape Award. Love it. Um, but mine's going to pair perfectly with that because – I was going to talk a lot about capes, but I think I think you kind of you kind of took it there. But um, m- mine's the last panel of the entire comic, and it's right after Batman kind of calls up with with uh, Catwoman. She sul- sulks off, and he is standing there above a grave of some kind. It's not necessarily say anything. It just says the end and kind of scroll letters on the grave. But good lord, again gigantic moon that takes up a huge piece of the panel. There's this scraggly tree behind Batman. It's just, you know, no leaves on it, all kind of like finger looking, you know, darkness. Sky's red, okay? The Gotham's always got red skies. What's up with that? We got to investigate, call the weather reporters. What's going on over here? And then Batman face envelops in blackness like we were describing before featureless you don't see his mouth you don't see his nose all you see are these little white slits for eyes and half of his body is in blackness as well so you see half the black bat symbol not the yellow kind of crest bat symbol like on your hat adam but just like that clean bat and god he just looks dope like he just looks so cool his cape is billowing off to the side I love the way artists, you know, redefine Batman's costume over time. And in this costume, he's got the sort of gray, the the light gray Batman with the blue gloves. He's got to have the yellow belt and then the the black trunks. And he's just he's just sharp, man. He's got the black the black cape because I I know like all in the eighties he, he had the blue cape. So it, it I, I like to see how they interpret him color wise as well. Yeah, it really says a lot about the artists, where their kind of, you know, inclinations are and what Mm -hmm. they love about Batman. Jim Lee obviously loves his boots, which we love as well. Everyone loves the the belt. And the belt. belt. I mean, yeah, you got to love that belt. Like I said, the squatty ears are fun. I love a a good long-eared Batman. Same. I'm not opposed. I just love to see the different takes on it and, and, you know... And and I think That's, Long Halloween. We were talking about Long Halloween. I think he's got the he's got like you know six inch ears coming up off. Yeah, him. real real bat looking ones. I yeah. was like vampire almost. I don't even know. Well, what. and then early Batman costume, he has the like you say bat ears where they're almost like rounded, like they look like actual like they're not just like triangles. They look like yeah. ears, like animal ears. They're really weird. Um. Real fast, before we move on to the final segment, I know we're going long on this one, but we just love Batman. I wanted to talk about Hush just because this is Hush and I wanted to just hit you up. Thomas Elliott, what did you think of introducing this character, exploring uh, Bruce's past? Uh, g- give me your Thomas Elliott take. Well, I'm glad that you brought it up because I honestly feel like it's a little force, like this person that's supposed to have this huge impact on Bruce's life that, you know, Alfred has just hadn't even thought about him. Oh, of course. Why wouldn't I think about Thomas Elliot, who was your best friend and is the best surgeon in the world? So I, I, I kind of felt like it was just 
out of nowhere, but at some point you need to just serve the story, I think. And, and I think that it did make sense to have this connection to his past, someone that he would trust, um, that he has no reason to distrust. Yep. But at the same time, it just kind of comes out of nowhere when you get the reveal that he actually wanted his parents to die the whole yeah. time and right. that he holds Thomas Wayne responsible. He He's mad at Thomas Wayne for saving his mother. Yes. And that always feels weird because I was thinking about this as a twist. A good twist when you go back, there should kind of be some hints or something yes. to let you know and sort of reward the second view of it. There's none of that on this. We've just, you know, we've just been told that it was one way and then all of a sudden we're told that it's another way. So that was actually one thing that I found a little unsatisfying as a reader. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that's a great take. And I completely agree because this book didn't get into Thomas Elliot. The first couple issues, we get all these flashbacks of young Bruce and young Thomas playing, you know, some like Stratego chessboard game. They're having fun. Sometimes they're mean to each other. We learn about his tragic story. Um, you see him, he's all cocky and rich now. He's the best surgeon in the world. And yeah, sometimes you introduce these old characters from Bruce's past. I, I actually like it when they do that. And they have an, a character in modern comics called Ghostmaker that I quite like. But we just don't know who Thomas Elliot is in this book, is the reality of it. Like like you said, we learn him one way, and then later it's revealed, and there was no way of knowing that he has a huge chip on his shoulder, he hates Bruce, and there's just there's these all these motivations that you just are kind of out of nowhere. And they're not really fleshed out a bit. I was super confused in terms of um Com as a comic reader wise, because later in continuity, Thomas Elliot, he does plastic surgery on himself to look like Bruce Wayne. And so I thought that happened in this book in my memory. And so I was kind of kept confusing myself and tricking myself while I was reading this because I was like all out of continuity there. So I have a sequel to recommend if you want to keep following up the Hush character, there is a comic called The Heart of Hush, and this happened near uh, Grant Morrison's Batman R.I.P. phase, that arc. And it is follows up Thomas Elliot whenever he goes after Catwoman again. And so it's this kind of interplay between Batman, Catwoman, and Thomas Elliot again. And spoiler, he does plastic surgery and like looks like Bruce Wayne. And then later they use him to like fill in as Bruce Wayne in certain times. So uh, anyway, just wanted to recommend that sequel there. And I, I love what you said about him because I, I agree. So let's move it over. This is our last segment. Let's take a walk down Adaptation Alley. Adam, take it away. Adaptation Alley is where we like to talk about the story's next life beyond the panels. And Hush, they actually did do an adaptation of this. You know, they like to make those um, DC animated films where they'll adapt some of their more popular stories. Batman has a lot of them. They have Batman tons. They, a have, lot of, they have tons of those. Ha yeah, have you he, seen any of them? I, I honestly don't think I've seen any of them. You, the closest thing I feel like I've seen is Batman Mask of the Phantasm, but that wasn't based on a book. That was just made for, as its own movie. Yes. But... um. 
Yeah, I don't think I've seen any of them. And they kind of do that half animated, half non-animated look that is just, it's very, you know, kind of of its own. Um, so, so I've seen one of them. And I will never watch any more of them okay. <laughs> because of exactly what you said. I watched The Killing Joke in theaters. Oh, and, right. and, and it was like, it was like Mark Hamill back as the Joker, uh, Kevin Conroy back as Batman in this seminal retelling of the classic Alan Moore st- and Brian Boland story, The Killing Joke. And like I said, I watched in theaters and it was atrocious. It was so bad. And my take on these DC animated uh, cartoon movies is they adapt great, great stories and then change them, I would argue, most of the time for the worst. I read the synopsis of The Hush Thing, and it's different and sounds horrible. Yeah. But but, but besides that, don't even worry about the storytelling thing. The art is just not as good. Like like their animation is always less than. They they can never their animation can never be as good as Jim Lee because Jim Lee is not going to draw animation, right? You're not even going to get anybody that touches Jim Lee in animation. You cannot recreate this. So if you're going to re- if you're going to adapt this, just read the comic book. Like I don't get it because do something stylistically different if you're going to adapt and and let's go down that alley and talk about it. But I just had to get on my soapbox for a second, Adam, and I apologize uh, because it frustrates me because I know a lot of people who watch all those DC things and they don't read the comics. And I'm like, you are getting a watered down, shittier version. You got to just go back to the comics and you can get better art and better story. Come back to the comics, folks. We're here for you. That's right. Join the comic club. Join the comic club, but we're talking Adaptation Alley right now, and we'll get away from that because really a lot of these stories get tapped and uh, used on the big screens. And I think that there's going to be some elements from this in the next Batman movie that's about to come out with, you know, starring Robert Pattinson as the new Batman. And um, I'm excited to see what they pull from it. I have a couple ideas of what I think could be drawn in some ways but so i'll start with one of mine blaine you can think of something if you don't have anything off the top of your head i can go with another more but one thing that i noticed is i think that they're kind of tapping into catwoman's suit on this one okay they got those big glasses her like goggles Mm -hmm. i really like that i like that version i like that catwoman would use practical um you know clothes and and headwear for her gig because she's she's a burglar so she has to have some stuff that are going to help her at her her burglaring right yeah and all right i i'm going off of a tangent i i'm ruining your adaptation alley segment adam <laughs> what's what's gotten into you today man are you okay like do we need to talk about something it's like we can just we can turn off the zoom yeah we, we need to have a comic club intervention over here no um this is going to go well, back going to... going back to the animated movies. Yeah. No, yeah. One more thing about DC animated thing. films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. My thing, and this is actually going back to last Bat Month, Adam, when we did Batman Year One. We, we didn't really talk about this, but Catwoman in Batman Year One is a prostitute. Yep. She's African-American. 
She has that short, shaved, pixie cut kind of haircut. And I feel like they're channeling that vibe of her. And yeah. and I love what you're saying about the um, kind of practical costume. I love Catwoman whenever she wraps her whip around her waist as a belt. And she, she it, she's usually using it as a belt. And then she can quickly draw it out and you know swing from the rooftops and stuff like that. But I thought that was an interesting thing that we didn't dive super into, but it's kind of like not the, not the burglar um, diamond heist thief who's stealing from like jewelry from museums that we see in Batman, the animated series, but like a street kid who's kind of downer to luck, but is smarter than everybody else. And is trying to elevate past, you know, what she was born into. And, and I really like that take on Catwoman. I think, you know, we kind of, get a little bit of that disaffected Catwoman and hush, you know, not the just like I'm in it for the diamonds and the jewelry, but like the, um, you know, she just kind of has that pathos that's, you, you identify with her, you know, she's she not just, all yeah, the way she good. She's not like all, real person. Yeah, she's not all the way good. She's not all the way bad, but you know, she's seen some shit. So um, anyway, that that's my take as you move on to the next one and I'll, and I'll keep thinking. Well, yeah, you got to have, you want her to really kind of toe the line and go from good to bad. You want her to do things that Batman wouldn't do and wouldn't sign yes. off on. Yes. Because she needs to have her own autonomy. Like, that's yes. what makes her so great and like a cat. But then you also want her to have those moments where she comes back and she thinks, oh, maybe I could be good. Maybe yep. maybe being bad isn't my my calling, my destiny. And I, I, I liked, I think Anne Hathaway's Catwoman kind of got there a little bit. Um and I'll be curious to see this new take on it. But, you know, obviously they're going with the Riddler as one of the villains in this new Batman. And I, I'm just so, so hyped for that because I, like we said, I think the Riddler is a great, great villain that hasn't really been fully used to his potential as this evil mastermind. And I think that, I, I mean, the trailer is so brief. We, we don't really know. But just kind of from what I get by the trailer and just the casting of Paul Dano, I just think he's going to be messed up in the way that is perfect for that character. Just a sociopath who is, you know, is basically like a serial killer who has planned all these things, who's just the the opposite of Batman, but like just as brilliant as Batman, but just as opposite in his intentions and, you know, his moral compass. You know, I think in comics, Riddler is usually draws the line at murder. And I'm sure he's killed tons of people in comics that I, I've probably even read. I, I don't even know. But I think that's kind of what separates him from the Joker in a lot of ways. If you think about the psychosis of the characters, they're both crazy in their own ways. One is like, you know, to quote, wants to watch the world burn and, you know, just wants the chaos. And then the other one is caught up in a web of his own brilliance, right? He's gone yes. too deep down the rabbit hole of his own mind and is kind of looking inward. And the only way that he can feel like he's got a right or, you know, he's above, he feels so above it all that Batman's his only foil. And, and he, and he foils himself constantly by even challenging Batman. He could just do all this stuff, but he likes to put the riddles out there. So I find it a little strange that he is a serial killer. Oh, no, I, I take it back. Because the thing is, is 
I don't, I'm not the kind of guy who looks at these movies and it's like, that's not like the comics. That's not my Riddler. Like, I, I, I don't give a shit about like the, the canon or the, the proper way to do characters. I love that they're going to interpret them in a different way. And Paul Dano is effed up. I mean, I watch, I think it was called uh, Enemy. It's that Denis Villeneuve movie. No, Prisoner. Prisoners. And, and, um, I just think of Paul Dano in that. He's creepy AF. He is yeah, I feel like he's channeling that same kind of character over into the Riddler here. And I think we hear some of his dialogue in the trailer. He's got kind of a funky costume, but I really hope they lean into the riddles because I love the riddles and in Batman, is it Forever or is it in Rob in Batman Forever? I thought the riddles were actually quite good in that film, and and I really hope they. Um, Adam's laugh. I, I, I think they're funny. Wayne comes for the riddles. I come for He's the riddles. Like, you know what? I love a good wordplay riddle. Just kind of make you think, stump you. I do. No, 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 no. I, I, I mean that. That's that's the Riddler. That's his name. He's not the. He's not the Joker. I, I think because the Joker and the Riddler can be close through the wrong lens. But yeah. through the right lens, they are very different, and 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 I I do love the riddles. I I really do. I love the riddles too. I love Batman Forever, like to a fault. I will defend Batman Forever, yeah, till my dying breath. That yeah. is the hill I will die on. Batman Forever is great, people. So so don't believe the hype. <laughs> Batman Forever is great. There can be campy Batmans. There can be grim Batmans. All right, yes. we can do it all. There's so, room for everyone. Let me ask you this: Do you think they can adapt Batman Hush into a film, uh, into a live action? Batman Hush? No, there's too many villains. No there's chance. Too many people. No there, way. There's too much going on. This is made for the comics. This is a comic story. Agreed. Some things, like Blaine was saying, with this DC animated stuff. There are some things that the adaptation isn't worth it. The juice is not worth the squeeze. Right. If you're not improving the art, if you're not improving the story, why are you doing it? Um, you're not giving a new take on anything. Some things were just meant to exist in the medium that they were created in. And comics give us a very special you know, blend of storytelling and art. And so you got to just go straight to the source sometimes. And I think Hush is one of the best examples. You can only get it in comics. Real fast. Last thing. Do you have more adaptation alley? I don't want to. That's all I got. We we came to the end of the alley. Real fast. You mentioned on the first impressions that you are an Arrowverse guy. You've seen some of the uh, Flash. You've watched Arrow. You've watched some of this stuff. Whenever I was reading the Hush's Wikipedia page, it says Thomas Elliott Hush shows up. I think it's in way later seasons. Did you ever make it to where Hush shows up in the Arrowverse? Ooh, I don't think I made it to Hush showing up in the Arrowverse. I mean, that's a definitely hard to keep track of. There you were getting new villains every week, every a week, lot of times, every week. and so many shows. They really were mining the depths of the uh, the library to find new villains. A lot of fun stuff in there, and a lot of really fun actors would just show up, do a little guest spot. Dude, Davis da- David Dasmalkian would show up in them from time to time. Hmm. He's in um he's Polka Dot Man in the Oh Suicide yeah. Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's in Dune. And he's in Dune. Yeah. yeah he's in Dune. <laughs> he's the Mintat. Um, he's he's the Mintat for the Harkonnens. So that was like the beauty of those shows in one of the beauties, but you would just get these awesome guest stars that would just be a villain for one episode. Yeah, um 
Anyway, I, I thought I'd just ask that. He was in Gotham and he was in the Arrowverse, and I, I yep. just wondered how that would look. Uh, we mentioned we might have to. Blaine might have to take a trip down the Arrowverse. I, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But it's dangerous. But it's a dangerous territory. But anyway, that's gonna wrap it up for Batman Hush. This was a long beautiful episode because mm. your boys over at comic club just love the cape crusader so if you like this episode tell a friend leave a review on your podcast app of choice you can follow us at comic club podcast on instagram i am blaine mcgaff on twitter i'm danger adam on instagram and that's gonna wrap it up for this month's comic adam Comic Club out. Comic Club is brought to you from Upper Esh Media. This episode was edited by Adam J. Cook. Our intro and outro music is by Tiger Cup. Katie Livingston at Living Kate designed our logo. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on social at Comic Club Podcast. And join our Facebook group to continue the conversation online. Remember, everyone, read more comics. Comic Club.